Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Keeping Up with the G-Men. I'm your host, Christian Morell, and this is my co-host, Anthony Rivardo. Anthony, how's it going today? It's going quite well. Uh, Giants are coming off of a disappointing loss, but I'm pretty proud of the way that they fought. Yeah, and at least we're not Lions fans, right? (laughs) Yeah, at least the refs didn't screw us over too badly. Yeah, I mean, they've gotten us before, but man, I, I don't even... I can't even imagine what it's like to be a Lions fan right now. Um, maybe we can save more of that for later in the show. But to get to some Giants news, uh, they've obviously had a couple of tough matchups the last two weeks. They faced arguably top five defenses, um, you know, maybe top ten if you kind of want to be generous. But what do you think of those games? I mean, obviously Daniel Jones struggled, but what did you like out of him in those two games? Well, off the bat, I liked his touchdown pass to Golden Tate and his touchdown pass to Darius Slayton. It's those big-time throws, those Danny Dimes that he has or that he just pulls out of his back pocket here and there that really shows his potential because, yeah, he's making a lot of mistakes, a lot of rookie mistakes too, like just totally misreading coverages. And, you know, he'll learn as he goes along how to, you know, work out those kinks. But seeing him make some throws that just – you know Eli Manning at his current state couldn't make, and that's the difference. That's why the Giants have been playing better. That's really encouraging because the more he plays, the less mistakes he's going to make and the more Danny Dimes he's going to throw. So it's great seeing those plays. Even when he's getting beat down by the Patriots' defense, he still manages to throw a perfect pass deep to Golden Tate, and that just shows his high ceiling. And so that's what excited me about Daniel Jones's performances in those two games. Yeah, the Vikings gave him such a hard time, too. And it almost looked like he was back at Duke during both of those games because both teams have such a good secondary that there wasn't a ton of room for receivers to really make. And it just looked really tough. And, you know, in the first couple weeks, Giants fans really started handing out told you so's to the draft community about Daniel Jones and now they're kind of doing it back to the Giants community the last couple weeks now that they've played a couple of top shelf defenses but you know I think overall it's it's got to be somewhere in the middle right now especially with how good those teams were just now It, it wasn't fair to expect Daniel to go in there and beat those teams even though they were down seven points in the fourth quarter against the Patriots but you know, maybe Pat Shermer didn't do everything he could to keep up. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the told you so's because I see a lot of people on Twitter right now. I see a few calling to put Eli Manning back in, which is just extreme. And I see a lot of fans starting to slowly but surely lose hope in Daniel Jones. He gave us so much hope after those two wins in a row. But then now after facing two legitimate defenses, you know, people are starting to become skeptical. And I just, I'm not sure if people realize how good that Patriots defense is. This is a historically great defense. Like, if they keep at this pace, they can go down as arguably the best defensive unit of all time. And Daniel Jones, in his, what, fourth career start, had to go up against that. It's unfair for people to give Daniel Jones so much criticism and start to turn their backs on him now. I I think he's shown enough to where we've just got to believe in him and believe in the potential that he has and stick with him for these next games. But I'm also happy that you mentioned uh, Pat Shermer in that New England game. 
I was particularly furious on Thursday night with the way that Shermer handled that game. I thought the play calling was pretty atrocious, and I thought his game management was pretty bad too. I'm not sure how do you how do you feel about how uh, Shermer handled that game. I think it can all be wrapped up in the fourth and two, down 14 points in the fourth quarter, and you punt to Tom Brady. Yeah, it's just mind-boggling, but that wasn't even the play that got me really riled up. It was before that. It's third and eight. It's the most important play of the game. We're down by one touchdown in the fourth quarter, and he calls a halfback screen to Jonathan Hilleman on third and eight. What kind of a play call is that? Even to Saquon Barkley on the halfback screen, it's a bad play call. You're throwing the ball four yards behind the line of scrimmage on third and eight. Why not be aggressive, get the ball forward instead of backwards? And, you know, end of the story, Jonathan Hilleman catches it, gets hit, fumbles, Kyle Van Noy picks it up and scores. And that pretty much sealed the fate of the game. And that play call just infuriated me. Yeah, and then the punt that I talked about, you know, really sealed it. Yeah. Because at that point, they only got the ball back one more time. It's... It's kind of sad to watch. And the thing is, it's so hard to take over an NFL team as a new head coach. And you're obviously doing it because the team isn't where the ownership wants them to be. They're underperforming. But, Pat, when you come in here, you, these these play calls are just head scratchers. I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable. And, I mean, we've at least seen more of a, a willingness to go down the field now that Jones is in the game. I mean, Shermer was obviously throwing his scheme in a shell with Eli. I mean, it really speaks to, you know, what he thought he was capable of with him. And then we see a little uptick with the scheme when Daniel Jones enters the lineup. But these play calls, I mean, is he ever – I don't see how he's ever actually going to get better. And then that timeout that he called towards the end of the half. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, You'll have to refresh my memory. There was – about 2.40 on the clock, and the Giants called a timeout because they thought they were going to get a stop and get the ball back to score before half. You do not start calling timeouts prematurely on Tom Brady when he is driving down the field. I mean, I don't care if if the down and distance looks pretty good. It's still Tom Brady. Let the clock run. Yeah, the first mistake is relying on the Giants' defense to get a critical stop. The second mistake is relying on the Giants' defense to get a critical stop against Tom Brady. So <laughs> that's just Pat Shermer, though. I just don't think he knows how to manage a game. And I, I've made this argument on Twitter. I think the problem is that he's too focused on play calling, and he's not able to manage the game well because of that. And I think he needs to give up play calling and just go strictly game management because he seems so caught up in everything sometimes and he just forgets what the situation is the situational play calling is the problem it's not you know he scripts the first drive pretty much every week is like perfect but then after that once the defense adjusted he doesn't adjust he doesn't know how and his situational play calling is a problem because he has some great play designs in this playbook i really do i like the plays that he runs just not when he runs them And that's the problem because he's not adjusting. But when he's going up against a great coach like Bill Belichick, they know exactly what he's going to do because he's never going to change his game plan. 
Yeah, it's here's the thing. Like it's it's really so simple. Being an offensive coordinator and being a head coach are two jobs. It, they really are. They're two separate jobs. It it takes someone's entire attention span to really run a game 100% efficiently. And that's with just letting your coordinators do their thing too. And Pat was definitely a good coordinator. I don't think he's a good head coach so far, but both? I mean, why both? I mean, really, you have Mike Shula as the glorified offensive assistant, basically. Mm-hmm. Let the guy call plays, and Shermer, if you really want to be a head coach, focus on the whole game. But this is not working right now. It, it Based on the, the screen to Hilliman alone, I mean, this is just not working right now. No, I completely agree. I don't think he's been a good coach so far, and I it it you know it's frustrating to admit that because I really want him to succeed. I don't want people to think that I'm some type of Shermer hater, but I, I like him. I like his demeanor around the players. The players seem to gravitate towards him, and they seem to all have his back. So I really like that part of uh, of Coach Shermer. But like we've discussed, the situational play calling is just so confusing and. It's like you've said. It's two jobs. Why is that? Why is Mike Shula just basically there to be there? I mean, I agree. He needs to start calling plays. And if they don't like Mike Shula's ability to call plays, then make him the quarterbacks coach and get a real offensive coordinator. Get someone in here who knows the offense and knows how to call plays. Yeah, it's just, and I. The thing is, I liked Shermer as as a candidate for a coordinator but i just had a feeling this this was going to be the same old stuff it's it, not putting him on the same level as mcadoo because Shermer's definitely a step in the right direction at least but i would love to get a defensive-minded guy in here that's okay with sitting back and just running the game but like we've said those last two matchups were tough and we didn't exactly expect the the team to beat them that wouldn't have exactly been fair but you know we also don't expect the the coach to shoot the team in the foot right and we do have to give a lot of credit to the Giants defense because they played a great game through the first three and a half quarters but once they were on the field for too long and I blame this on Pat Shermer's play calling in the fourth quarter getting the offense off the field really quickly punting the ball on fourth and two then obviously the defense got gassed and Patriots were able to pile on the points, but we got to give credit where it's due. The pass rush looked really good against New England. Uh, Janoris Jenkins had some good plays, and I think the defense overall had a solid game that they can build on. Yeah, uh, that's that's really one of the silver linings, and I know they didn't quite show up as much against the Vikings, but the Vikings got to the point where they were just throwing a ton of passes to Dalvin Cook, and how do you expect, you know, like fourth and fifth string linebackers to really keep up with that? So, yeah. you know, it gets to the point where sometimes the shelves are too bare, you know, whether it's from injury or whether it's because you're not trying to sign veteran running backs and you're okay with Hilliman. Mm. But, uh, you know, there's speaking on the positive things, you get Arizona this week. Pretty soon you have matchups with the Jets, even though they just beat the Cowboys and the Lions. So the schedule lightens up a little bit. And I know Sterling Shepard isn't 
uh, really expected to play this week, but how soon do you think he might be back? You know, we really haven't gotten any indication from the Giants on when they think he'll be back, and it's concerning, extremely concerning to see a player get two concussions in the same month. So I think that we could be looking at like a four-week injury here because you really don't want to rush someone back from a concussion, and they're going to have to play it safe with him. Um, They rushed him out there last time, and it clearly came back to bite him, and I think that they're going to have to keep him out for quite a while here. And it's going to be a big loss, sure, but the Giants do have solid depth at receiver if they have solid depth anywhere, so... I'm I'm pretty confident in Tate and Slayton to fill in. And it's funny. It seems like this team... It's not funny, because it seems like this team has a curse. Anytime they get a player back in a position group, one more goes. Right. You drafted Eric Flowers thinking he's playing right tackle. Will Beattie goes down. You draft Beckham thinking he's going to be a nice duo with Victor Cruz. Cruz tears his tendon in his knee the same game or two games after Odell you know it's it's this crap Mm -hmm. I mean it's it's really tough and eventually this team needs to catch some breaks but I really think they will over the stretch of games here I mean you know with Arizona Kyler I think there's certain ways you can really counter this kid you have to kind of treat him like Russell Wilson when Wilson was young because they're both so small but so fast you have to really try to really just protect the perimeter because Kyler cannot see directly in front of him. And with how deep his dropbacks are, uh, I mean, it's, it's going to be kind of tough for the pass rush, but I, I really think our corners can hold up against some of these types of receivers they have. I mean, Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald, at this point, I, I would expect them to have an advantage there. Well, I, I agree we do have some lightening up coming on the on the schedule, but I think these next two games, Arizona and then Detroit, they're winnable, but they're really tough games. Uh, Kyler Murray is finally starting to look like the number one overall pick. I, I, I have seen some plays from him that have absolutely blown my mind. His mobility in and out of the pocket and his arm talent, he's really looking like what I saw on the college film. He's starting to get there, and... It's exciting because I am a Kyler Murray fan, but I just wish he was still at the struggling point since we're about to face him. But one thing that I do really like in this matchup is Dexter Lawrence is looking like an absolute force to be reckoned with. And he's going to be going up against former giant Justin Pugh, who's now a member of the Cardinals this week. And I think we all know that Pugh, uh, he had his fair share of struggles in pass protection. And that's exactly where I want the pressure coming from, is right up the middle, uh, right in Kyler Murray's face. Make it so that he can't see over the line, and that's a favorable matchup for the Giants, in my opinion. What I like is that Kyler can't see over the line anyway. I mean, he takes like a 10-yard drop back if he's trying to complete anything over the middle. And at that point, with how fancy Betcher likes to get, I wouldn't mind if he really wanted to key on the outside receivers and say, Kyler, try to navigate your way over the middle. That's the way I would be attacking this. And I know, you know, Kyler has these fabulous plays down the field, but man, our pass rush, I I know they're really going to be up against it with this kid. 
But with how deep his dropbacks are, if you're really just trying to, you know, take the outside and pin your ears back and rush this kid, you might be able to get him. Yeah, and we've definitely got to um, give props to Marcus Golden. I was pretty critical of that signing in the offseason. I thought that there was more talented players on the market, and we could still argue that there was. I was a very big fan of Shaquille Barron in the offseason. But Marcus Golden has really proved me wrong, and he's looked like a great pass rusher. And he's going to be going up against the Cardinals, his former team. And I think that we could see him definitely come away with a sack on Kyler Murray because he's just been playing great football. Yeah, we've both been very critical of Marcus Golden, and these last few weeks, he's really picked it up. I mean, yeah, I mean, like I still prefer Shaquille Barrett right now, but it at least makes it feel a little better, you know, thinking Golden, you know, was at least a close second behind him. I mean, I know some of the other free agent edge rushers have been good, but we really were not in play for those guys. They were way too expensive. But looking at the Lions too, um, you know, they have. They have some good weapons over there, mainly in the backfield. I mean, I think Carrion Johnson's really their really main threat. They just don't really go to him that much. So that'll be another tough test with Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones on the outside. But I think those are the kinds of corners that DeAndre Baker really does better against, some of those bigger guys, and, and, Jan- and Jenkins too. So uh, what do you think of what do you think of the Lions defense though? Uh, well, quickly, I'll say the the Lions' offense really does scare me. I think that's another game where the Giants' secondary is going to be outmatched by a quarterback with a strong arm who can make plays downfield and some really good receivers who can burn our our corners. Like, you know, I think it might just be a repeat of Weeks One, Two, and the first half of Week Three. But Lions' defense, I think, played a pretty solid game against the Packers last night um obviously Aaron Rodgers had to deal with a lot of drops and they walked away with a very controversial win but Trey Flowers is also a great pass rusher that Nate Solder is going to need to step up to play against because I mean Nate Solder's been pretty bad these past few weeks and Trey Flowers is a force to be reckoned with so that's that's probably the main matchup that I'm going to be keyed in on when the Giants face the Lions. Well, if Solder would just kind of squat a little lower and kind of force Flowers to get his hands kind of high, I feel like that could, you know, bode well for the Giants for some reason. But Yeah, maybe they can get his hands so high that it's uh, right in Nate Solder's face mask or, or yeah. his shoulder. His just shoulder get him to squat. Yeah, just get Solder to squat right down. And <laughs> if those hands are anywhere near the face, it should go well. Well, we should get a flag. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's if we're in as good of graces as the Packers. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I think their defense is pretty stout. I mean, it, it's a really good run-stuffing run, run unit, and obviously with snacks. But their linebacker, Gerard Davis, is really good, too. But, yeah, overall, I think it's a winnable game. And, you know, while those receivers are good, I think the, the play style kind of gives the Giants a break a little bit because I mean if they have Marvin Hall on Jenkins I'm worried but outside of that I, I I think they can you know match up with them decently as far as you know similar play styles yeah and maybe but I don't know man I'm just starting to get really worried about DeAndre Baker he's 
I know he's been slightly improving these past few weeks, but I just don't see it. A lot of people think he's been playing better, but I don't see it. I see him still giving up a lot of plays and getting burnt quite a bit. And yeah, it's it's getting a little little worrisome for me. I, I don't know how you feel about him. Well, here's the thing with Baker. I don't think he's ever going to become a number one shutdown cornerback. But I think he's going to be a solid two for a team. Kind of like Prince of Mukamara. Uh, you know, Prince was a good cornerback for us, but anytime he got lined up on a guy like Des Bryant or Demarius Thomas when he was really good, those guys would take him to town. So basically, I mean, I expect Baker to be, you know, between 32 and 64 as far as overall as far as overall cornerback talent. Mm-hmm. So definitely a solid two. But, I mean, I I never quite expected him to be this, you know, lockdown corner. He, he's probably fair for what they spent on him, but probably not a value. Well, one thing I do like is um, they obviously traded up into the back end of the first round to draft him. And that was really important because now they have the fifth-year option. So they've got a lot of time to see if he's going to pan out. They have five years to see if he's going to turn into a legitimate corner, if he hasn't proved himself by then, which obviously we hope he does. But if he doesn't, we've got that extra fifth-year option. And had he been a second-round pick, um, they wouldn't have had that. They would have had to pay him or let him go. And that fifth-year option is going to be really important. Right. Yeah, that's definitely a big part of it. And having that with three different guys is going to be huge. Yeah. But looking at the offense the next couple weeks, uh, we've mentioned Sterling Shepard is probably not going to be in the mix. Golden Tate kind of stepped right into his role last week and, you know, caught a good amount of passes underneath. And then that awesome Danny Dime, like you said, Mm. right down the sideline there. He really wasn't open. It was just perfectly thrown. Yeah, that was a perfect throw. He threw his receiver open there, but, I mean, nobody was really open against the Patriots. And I, I got to give you some credit here, too, because you, you expressed a lot of concern throughout this podcast and every time I've spoken to you about it. You've, you've expressed a lot of concern with having both Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard on the field and the problems that that could create in the offense. And so far, you seem completely right about it because against Minnesota, we barely even saw any of Golden Tate because it seemed like Shermer just didn't know how to work him and Shepard into the game plan together because they both play a very similar role. But then when Shepard went out and Tate filled Shepard's role, he excelled. He got that touchdown pass. And, I mean, he played as good as anybody on the Giants' offense. I think he was the best performer in that game. So it looks so far like... You were completely right about that, and I'm not so confident in Shepard and Tate coexisting now. I, I just don't see it in two wide receiver sets. I just not that's I mean if you get them on the field, all three of them you know those two and Slayton, Sherber should be a good enough you know schemer and play caller to you know really get both going. I mean the Patriots do it, and not to say that means everyone should, but maybe you can take a look at what they're doing. I mean, um, but yeah, I, I'm very curious about how Shepard and Tate would coexist long-term and for the fantasy football crowd, it could end up 
just like Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, even though neither are quite one of those players, it's probably going to be a different guy every game. I mean, it's it's not really like a Nixon Cruz where both can excel in their own role and both get 100 yards. Right. <clears throat> but, yeah, I mean, at least they signed Buck Allen or Havorius Allen, if you're not familiar with him from Baltimore. Uh, he's They actually had some optimism about him early in his career, but, you know, they they kind of turned the page on that pretty quickly. Uh, how do you feel about Buck Allen? I mean, he's obviously an upgrade to Hilliman. Yeah, I don't know too much about Buck Allen. Um, I've What I've read, he's, you know, obviously an upgrade over Hilliman. I think just about anybody would have been. And I'm excited to see what he can do, but I'm hoping we don't see too much of him because... I'm really hoping Saquon Barkley comes back this week. He looks ready to go to me, but we'll see. Um, And I'm also just confused as to why the Giants waited so long to sign Buck Allen. I know that they had him in for a workout over a week ago, and they chose not to sign him, and then they went in with Jonathan Hilleman, who's got a fumbling problem, and he fumbled the game away. So that's my, uh, my true feelings on the topic of our backup running back situation. Yeah, I think they kind of set themselves up for this by even allowing Hilliman to be on the roster come September. I mean, I guess they just thought that, you know, no way we're going to get back down to our third running back, but it happened five weeks in. Mm-hmm. And Allen's a good pass catcher. He, he can do that much. He's not a great runner, but as far as that screen that we were talking about against the Patriots, he wouldn't have looked like that. I mean... The Ravens really did like him at one point. But looking at Evan Ingram, do you think he'll be back this week against Arizona? Yeah, I think he will. And I think he really just sat out against New England as a precaution because they knew that they were going into a really tough matchup. And I think they knew their odds of winning that game were pretty slim to none. And why even risk putting out... uh, an injured player because you just don't want to see him get hurt in a blowout loss then you're just taking two losses so I think holding him out for that game was the right decision I think if he really needed to he could have played but he should be back this week for sure and a short week was definitely challenging for that and while I didn't like Hilliman being on the roster I understood why he wasn't released between week 5 and week 6 because it was such a quick turnaround to play that Thursday after playing Sunday I mean they were just they were really in a tough spot so between week 5 and 6 I don't blame them they just shouldn't have ever put themselves in that situation to begin with but I think Rhett Ellison could at least fill in decently he, he was over uh, 30 yards last week not that that's anything special but he's he's stepped in for ingram and done some decent things here and there yeah uh, ellison has definitely been a solid second tight end i mean even over the past couple of years but you know obviously it's not ideal having him as a number one and so i'm really hoping evan ingram is back because i i like him against arizona i think you know, Arizona has been giving up some touchdowns to tight ends this year. I know Mark Andrews had a good game against them for Baltimore, and I'd really like to see Evan Engram get out there, and, you know, I think he'd have a huge game if he does. 
I think he would probably be the key if he played because that team is an absolute tight end funnel. And not that we rely on a ton of fantasy football stats here, even though we're huge fantasy football fans. <laughs> True. Um, in, uh, the Cardinals have allowed the most fantasy points to tight ends this year. So uh, they are definitely not equipped to handle that position. And Ingram, I mean, we all know he's practically like a wide receiver of a tight end. So if Kyler is giving us a hard time, I would expect us to really be fighting back with Ingram. So, you know, hopefully you're right and it was just precautionary and we'll get to see him this Sunday. Yeah, I know um, Pat Shermer initially described the injury as game soreness. And usually when he says that, the players end up playing. But this time, Ingram didn't. So, I mean, who really knows because... Pat Shermer is not very transparent with the media sometimes, and he likes to uh, try and use deception when discussing player injuries, which is just, I guess, to some extent, it's a good strategy, keeping the other team guessing. But I thought, yeah, I definitely thought that if Engram needed to, he could have played because I didn't even see him get injured, and it just seemed like it was game soreness. But the short week, like you said, didn't help, so... I think we'll see him out there this weekend. Yeah, and speaking of the short week, I wonder if, you know, Barkley could have played a Sunday game. You know, I think maybe, so. For all we know, he was just a few days out himself. Yeah, I think he could have because the way he was running in practice, he looked really fluid in his cuts, and he looked ready to go in my opinion. Yeah, well, let's hope so. Um, uh, yeah. Another Another matchup we have coming up is the Jets not too long from now. And they seem winnable too, but a little scarier after Sunday because they gave Dallas a good fight and beat them. I mean, that was really that was really an awesome game to watch. I mean, Darnold yeah. looked terrific. Yeah, that was exciting. Um, definitely happy to see you know the Cowboys and the Eagles lose on the same day. That's always that's always fun. But I got to give credit to well. I'll say this. It was an excellent play call on defense and an awful play call on offense. The final play of the game, um, I think it was a two-point conversion. Dak Prescott, they they had him in an empty backfield, but the Jets brought the house, and it was a really aggressive play call. They left single coverage all over the field, and Dak just had no time to throw, and he threw it at the feet of Jason Witten, and the Jets won the game. And that was a really great aggressive play call, but I don't know what... Kellen Moore, I think, is a play caller for the Cowboys. I don't know why he decided to split the running back out wide when the entire box was stacked and showing blitz, but that's neither here nor there. I'm, my point is the Jets are starting to show some signs of being a decent football team with good play calling and good coaching, and obviously Sam Darnold is starting to look like a pretty solid player too. Yeah, I mean, if if they were going to empty the backfield there, Moore would have had to tell Dak, listen, that ball's got to be out within, like, one and a half seconds. <laughs> yeah, I especially mean, he got hit your, very fast, though. Yeah, and especially with your line. like. Yeah. I mean, that's just... Because they were without uh, Smith and Collins. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so the Jets definitely look better. I mean, they're... Their front is really stout. It really is. And their secondary has struggled this year. So it's almost kind of like the Philadelphia Eagles setup on defense. Uh, But, yeah, Sam Darnold has looked good. And we had an interesting talk about him on this podcast, you know, regarding whether 
Saquon and Jones are the right pick, and you know that's going to go on for a long time. But mm. I'm excited to get a an actual matchup there. Oh yeah, that's going to be really exciting. Seeing Barkley versus Darnold. Um, but one other matchup that I want to key in on is the Cowboys game that we have coming up. We face the Cardinals and the Lions. And like I said, I think those are winnable games, but they're going to be tough. But if somehow the Giants pull it off and they win those two games, then they'll be going, they'll have a home game, a Monday night game versus the Cowboys. And if we do win those two games, it looks like that could be a game for first place in the division, depending on how the Cowboys do these next two weeks. So that that's a huge matchup coming up. Like the Giants are, they're firmly in the hunt right now with how bad our division is. That's right. There's not a team with four wins yet. So, you know, it's all within reach, even technically for the Redskins, who, like, just kind of squeaked out that win against the Dolphins. But, right. And I wonder how badly the Dolphins even wanted to win. So, yeah. Well, I live in Florida, and I'll tell you, every Dolphins fan I talk to, they know that their team is trying to lose, and they are all for it. So, oh, okay. So, at least the. You know, at least the locals are supporting it. Yeah, no, I've got a friend, diehard Dolphins fan. He just really wants to see them end up with as many top 10 picks as possible because obviously they have the Steelers pick too. So it's actually been pretty interesting talking with them. And it looks like the Dolphins are actually going about this the right way. They're, they've made it clear that they're tanking and that they're sticking to that plan really strongly. And, you know, they all, all the fans, they just want to attack a Viloa. And I think they'd be pretty happy to get him and by the way that's becoming complicated because there are some other quarterbacks who in college who might be playing better football than Tua so (laughs) yeah I'll I'll find it funny if the whole tanking for Tua goes on for a while then they end up drafting say Joe Burrow but (laughs) yeah that that would be funny but I the one thing about Tua and I said this to my Dolphins friend my Dolphins fan friend last year is he's just surrounded by so much talent it's hard to get a you know it's like daniel jones was surrounded by next to no talent so it was hard to get a good judge on how he is as a player but with two attack of Viloa, he's throwing to these these world-class receivers and obviously he's got the greatest coach college coach ever so it's just a little tough to tell is he the real deal or not and that's you know we're obviously gonna have to make that decision come next offseason yeah, the only one of the only things we know for sure about Tua is that he can absolutely wing it. Yeah. You know, whether he's going to be a great game manager or his football IQ, that's all to be found out. But, you know, the, the passes down the field, the field are absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, the one thing I worry about when teams openly tank is that your good players might want to leave. Like guys that could be building blocks for you. And it could just become, you know, musical chairs. So, I mean, it's funny to see a team do it this obviously, the way the Dolphins are doing it. But, I mean, hey, I hope it works out for them. If they're good in five years, they can say they totally stripped it down for it. Yeah, well, like you just mentioned, players are already wanting to leave the Dolphins. Obviously, they've had multiple players call their agents and ask for trades and Mika Fitzpatrick was the big one and he got traded and he was a building block for them but they moved on yeah so 
It's definitely interesting for the Giants these this next month, though, because they have that handful of winnable games like we were talking about. And then after that, like you said, they have the Cowboys game. And then after that, the Bears game. So yeah. something I wrote about recently in an article is if the Giants can go one and one against those Cowboys and Bears later on after the, and, and capitalize on those winnable matchups... They could be heading into December at six and five. Yeah, they're they're really in the hunt right now. They are. Yeah, and it's it's fun to legitimately say that instead of saying yeah. that, instead of saying we're technically alive. <laughs> hmm. Right, and the Bears is going to be a really tough matchup because they've been struggling. Obviously, Trubisky is out, so you know we'll see if they've got Trubisky back by then. Um, I, what's the word on that? Do you know? I don't know, but if I were them, I wouldn't really be interested in having him back. I would be calling. Uh. <laughs> I'd be getting a hold of Josh McCown, and I'd be seeing what Jay Cutler's up to. Um, <laughs> no, maybe not that. But yeah, I don't know about Cutler. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't know that you were one of those really firm against Trubisky guys. Oh man, it's just tough to watch him. It really is. Yeah. I, I can see that. I just think, you know, he's a young guy. you got to bear with him for a while. My thing is how incredibly wide open people can be, and he has not made it to them yet. Yeah. Like, the guy, like, the way Booger was calling Baker Mayfield a one-read quarterback so, you know, so boldly on Monday night, it, that's how Trubisky looks. I mean, he has the time to throw. He's just not surveying the field. It's... It's really tough to watch. I hope Eli is a bear. You know, maybe not when we play him, because he'd probably blow the doors off us. Well, but, he would have to be because the the trade deadline would be uh, would have already passed by then. Oh, geez, right. So maybe they get him at the deadline. He's not up to speed when we play him, and then he leads them to their next Super Bowl. I'd be fine with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean that would be great, but I just don't see it happening. I read a really excellent article today on um, Sports Illustrated about Eli Manning and about how he's been handling this whole benching situation and he really hasn't shown any negative emotions towards it he's really just taken it on he's gone out to dinner with Daniel Jones here and there and I think he's actually enjoying being the backup and I'm not sure if he'd waive his no trade clause for it maybe I mean I wonder if he would let his desire to play just kind of, yeah, you know, dwindle away. I don't know. I mean, I I would love to see him finish up for a contender the way Peyton did. But yeah, me too. I mean, I'd love to be able to call him three lie. That would just be glorious. Oh, but... that would be funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll but see. if he sticks around, and we lose the season entirely, I'd love to throw him in there week seventeen just for one last game. I would, too. I would really be happy to see that. Or at least, you know, make sure that Daniel Jones blows them out really fast and then we can put him in in the second half or something. That would be great. Yeah, and unfortunately, I'm pretty sure it's the Eagles, so. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's, yeah, we, we don't do too well against them lately. Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe the Russ will do us a favor that time. Oh, yeah, it is the Eagles. Man, that is the one thing on this earth that I hate more than anything is the Philadelphia Eagles and their fans. 
<laughs> yeah, well, their mouth-breathing fans don't help me. <laughs> I mean, no, they're all just nasty, pouring beer and popcorn on people. And I'll never forget watching. I'll never forget seeing that video after they won the Super Bowl pop up on my timeline, where one of their fans decided, in the midst of the riots, to treat themselves to a tasty snack of horse poop. So I'll never forget that one. <laughs> disgusting it's, it's just madness over in philly i, I don't yeah. even go there <laughs> i don't blame you <laughs> yeah that's that's something else. i don't know why there's such miserable fans i mean i know there's some respectable eagle fans out there but most of the ones around the stadium just seem like a bunch of madmen so yeah and of course we're not lumping every single fan in there when i'm saying eagles fans i'm saying you know which ones i'm talking about i mean you know there's I've met some nice Eagles fans before, but a few I've met have been some real dicks, too. So Yeah, it's maybe a good 10 to 1 ratio. <laughs> That's about it, yeah. <laughs> but, all right, so why don't we close out by talking about either what, either the play that's impressed us most about Daniel Jones so far or just your favorite, just, you know, something really exciting he did. Yeah, um... For me, it's by far the game-winning touchdown run against Tampa Bay. I was at that game, and I can't even put into words the feeling and the energy in the stadium when that happened. I went to that game, and then the next week I was in New Jersey, and I went to the Redskins game. It was louder when the Giants were winning in Tampa Bay than it was in MetLife Stadium. And, you know, usually the home game is where it's supposed to be really crazy, but in Tampa, it was on another level. I mean, I really have a sense that the that the Giants fans helped the Giants win that game because when we were, you know, behind and we were fighting back, everybody just got into chant, let's go Giants, let's go. We just all went after it. We chanting, let's go defense, making it really tough for Jameis Winston in the second half. And it was so much fun being there at the atmosphere. And when Daniel Jones took off and scored that game-winning touchdown, me, my mom, my dad, my girlfriend, we were all there. We all just freaked out. I've never seen my dad get that excited. <laughs> and we just all freaked out. Giants fans are all turning around, high-fiving and hugging each other. And, yeah, that, that was my favorite play just for personal reasons. I don't think it was his most impressive, but definitely going to be one of the most memorable plays of his career for me in the long run. Yeah, that's awesome, man. It's great to get to go to his first start. You get to meet him. Hey, my God. Yeah, I met him at training camp. Yeah. Jeez. Well, yeah. <laughs> I I mean, I guess it's hard to really sift through and decide what his most impressive play is. But yeah, I'm going to pick the play in that two-minute drill against the Bucks when they were going down to score. He hit Shepard on that deep out, and it really seemed to spark the drive. It was a nice chunk play, and it was so fun because I'm sitting there thinking, when's the last time I watched a Giants team pick up a chunk play in a two-minute drill in a game that actually mattered? And it, mm. <laughs> it was so fun. It, that, That's right. That Buccaneers game was just unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, that was it really was unbelievable. That game was so special, and being there just – I'll never go to a game that that's crazy again. I mean, that was just so special. And operating a two-minute drill as a rookie. 
Yeah, no, uh, that was unbelievable. I just, I was so impressed by the way that he just, he was so poised and he just marched them down the field and got that score, and that was crazy. That's the thing. You can you can reference these Vikings and Patriots games all you want. I don't, I don't see many quarterbacks in the league who were going to look a lot better in Daniel's situation with the limited weapons that he had. Yeah. So right. it, it's going to be fun. It'll be a nice back and forth between, you know, Giants Twitter and Draft Twitter and, mm-hmm. you know, some of the analysts. But Yeah, definitely. Something Dave Gettleman said that he got made fun of a lot for that I actually thought was really smart is the constant questions throughout training camp about Daniel Jones. You know, what did he look like today? How about today? Gettleman said, listen, you do not take these guys' temperature every single day. You just kind of hope that it's always around 98. And I don't know why people hammered him for it, maybe just because it's the Giants, and that's the fun thing to do this Mm -hmm. year. But I thought it was really smart to not have to come up with a final grade for every single outing. So, and then that's what's going to be going on for a while now. But... Yeah, I mean, most definitely. that That's how it's going to be for so long. But it's really, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint, you know. So it's about these players in the long run. How are they going to do? And I think I've seen stuff from Daniel Jones that gives me a lot of hope for that long run. Yeah, and it can take five to seven years to really know what a quarterback is sometimes. Yeah. I mean, a, a quarterback that I was never a huge fan of because I always thought he got way too much credit was Alex Smith. Um. Mm. You know, four or five years into his career, he still wasn't any good with the 49ers. Jim Harbaugh comes around, teaches the kid to at least manage games. So his yardage, you know, went down, wasn't throwing tons of touchdowns or anything, just managing games. And that was something he was probably capable of doing for a while, but it just, it was a matter of getting the right coach. And, you know, speaking of that, I can't mm. say for sure that Daniel has everything he needs to optimize his yeah. development with Pat Shermer. So this is going to be a, a five to seven year thing to really look back and say was Daniel Jones the right pick? But for now, it is. yeah, yeah. But I think for now, people should be able to just enjoy, you know, some of the some of the rookie highlights you're going to get from him. And then next year, it, it'll be a little more fair to have serious expectations, you know, based on the way they build the team. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. Next year is a more important year. We just want to see him progress throughout this year, improve, and then next year really take a step. And I think that's what we've seen so far from Lamar Jackson. And, I mean, I know I've got my best friend's a Ravens fan, and I know any Ravens fan I've talked to, they're all really, really optimistic about the future because they've seen the way that Lamar Jackson has improved week by week and made a jump this next season. So it, it is, it's it's a marathon. It's going to take a while, five to seven years maybe. And it's, you know, we're not going to know for a long time unless that this was the right decision. But I, I do really think that we've seen enough to at least have some optimism. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, we can't speak in absolutes, but the arrow can be pointing upward or downward. And I think overall it's hard to say the arrow isn't pointing upward. Right. I agree. And like you said with the the coach compliment, that's something I think we'll know sooner than later. I think you give that another year and we'll know whether or not um, Shermer and Daniel Jones are a good match because – 
you know, we've ex- we expressed it earlier. We're not sold on Shermer, and so that's something I don't think we'll have to wait five to seven years for. I don't think he's you know got that amount of time afforded to him. So hopefully that gets figured out before Daniel Jones gets figured out. Oh yeah, Shermer. Uh, going into next season, if the first three or four games are called badly, I will have zero hope whatsoever. Because yeah. next year you would be having more assets around Daniel Jones, around the whole team, really. So I, I think we'll know about Shermer pretty soon. And I'm not calling for his job by any means, but I'm not entirely confident that he's going to be here in 2020. Yeah, I think he's going to be safe until the end of the year. I think I don't see the Giants making such a big move this soon. But I think next year he's on the hot seat and he needs to really impress because you really don't want to lock him and Daniel Jones in at the hip for the long run if you just don't believe in one of them or, you know what I'm saying? So we really need to figure out what Shermer is by next year. Oh, yeah, and I'm, I'm not anticipating an in-game firing at all, or uh, in-season firing at all. He really hasn't been like that type of mess at all. I just think he's the kind of coach where you might be able to upgrade even if he's okay. But I agree. But, you know, with that said, um, they got some good matchups coming up, so let's hope we can get a, another winning record put together here, or at least 500 for a while. That would be nice. Uh, Anthony, is there anything else you wanted to say? Yeah, make sure that you check us out on Twitter. Um, we talked about Daniel Jones's. uh our favorite Daniel Jones play so far. And I actually, my article that went up today was ranking Daniel Jones's top five plays. And that's supposed to be a more interactive article that you guys can vote on on Twitter and tweet down below and let me know what you think. So that's just the best way to interact with us. Um, we love talking football with people. We love, you know, posting articles on there and having you guys see them. So follow us on Twitter. I'm at Anthony underscore Rivardo and Christian is at C NFL. So, Give us a follow. Come chat with us. You know, debate football all you want. We'll we'll definitely fight you to the death on our opinions. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we love love having some football conversations for sure. Always feel free to get a hold of us and make sure you go to empiresportsmedia.com to check out daily New York sports content and news. And we will get a hold of you guys next week. So until then, enjoy the game and take care.